Hello, and welcome to a special FYC conversation about the Apple TV Plus series, Shining Girls. I'm Stacey Wilson-Hunt, and joining me today are showrunner Silka Luisa, actors Jamie Bell, Wagner Mora, Philippa Sue, and actor, executive producer, and director Elizabeth Moss. Hello, everyone. So nice to see you. Hi. When was the last time you all saw each other in real life? Oh, uh, October of last year, right? Probably. Sure. Yeah. When we wrapped. Aww. Yeah, when you, when you guys deserted me and I was there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a right? Hey, it's a, it's a cutthroat business, Jamie. Come on. <laughs> that's it. Well, I've seen the first three episodes and that's all that have been released. So we're going to try to keep the conversation centered on the larger issues. No spoilers, of course, but I have no doubt we'll all be able to engage in some compelling conversation. Silka, I'd love to start with you as we always do with the writer. Was this IP, this novel by Lauren Bucus, was this something that you wanted to adapt on your own or was this something that you were hired to adapt? And then the second part would be what inspired you to wanna to bring this very complicated story to the screen? Because I've had to do some reading to figure out the first few episodes and make sure I wasn't making a mistake about characters and the way people were dressed and hairstyles. <laughs> so it's a lot and you've done it really beautifully. So tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so I actually read Lauren's book when it came out in 2013 and I loved the book. Um, I thought she had, you know, really done something very special in the blend of genres of serial killer plus science fiction, um, plus a great mystery. And, you know, for the first time, I also felt like the victims and the survivor had an equal voice. Uh, so her book always stayed with me. And I actually found out that they've been developing it for a fe feature for, for a while. And I found out that they were considering doing it for television. And I very aggressively went after went after the gig because I'd love, I love that so much. And I love hearing that, especially just the passion that is required to sell yourself. How did you sell yourself to be able to tell the story? Because the difference between you and someone else could just be tone, palette, you know, the way you divide up the story, what was your selling point? Well, I, they had been trying to develop it. And I think the, the way in my particular take on it, the fact that it was going to be an anchored in Kirby's point of view, that it was mm. going to be a much more subjective experience. Um, that was something that they hadn't heard before. And it made a lot of sense. Uh, it felt like a different way of, of telling the story. And also I had shifted some of the mythology, which helped which mm. helped that work better for television. I love that. Well, congratulations on getting the job. That's no small feat. <laughs> Very exciting. Selling a vision is, is no small feat. And Elizabeth, wonderful to see you as always. You're always working, never seem to not be working. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, you're in a different hotel room or some undisclosed location around the world. <laughs> I love it. I love Enjoy productivity. It. So what's been so fascinating about your career in the last few years is so much of your work has centered on humanizing women who've been traumatized. And this is through violence, through mental anguish, uh, Top of the Lake, Handmaid's Tale, of course, Invisible Man. In all of these pieces, you're bringing humanity to women who've been abused. And this piece is no different, but there is the metaphysical element to this. So I'm curious how that has tested you and your storytelling acumen but also what has made this more, I guess, fun for lack of a better term than you've been able to have in the past because there is an air of playfulness to this story that we obviously don't see in those other pieces, so. Yeah, I'm actually glad you used the word fun because that's what I like to say, but I don't know if that makes sense to people. Um, <laughs> sure. 
but I do feel like it's more fun in some ways um, than some of the other things I've done. I love genre pieces. I, I love sci-fi. Um, and so I, I love horror. This felt like it was neither of those, but something that was bending all of that to fit the narrative and to fit Kirby's story. Um, so I was almost just as attracted to the show as a whole as I was to the character. I was just as attracted to all of the other characters and where the show was going and what the show was about, um, as opposed to just feeling, um, oh, I want to play Kirby, um, which was why it was wonderful to come on as an EP and then eventually direct. Um, so I think, yeah, I think for me, I, I, I love playing sort of everyday superheroes. I love playing women who are find a strength within themselves, no matter um, what the adversity and challenges are. And um, I, I feel like doing that in this kind of more metaphysical world was something that I, you're right, I hadn't really done. I also really love the, um, the thing that captured me right off the bat was the fact that the first scene you knew who the, who the guy was, you knew who the killer was in the first right. scene. You knew. And I just thought that was such a unique way of telling a story. So it wasn't about eight episodes of who did it, who did it, which I've done, honestly, it was about why and how and why her and why him. And I thought that was just a very unique way of, of telling the story. Hmm. And you had just directed your first batch of episodes in Handmaid's Tale previous season. What did you learn doing that that you brought to this piece? But what was different about this exercise as a director versus what you had done on Handmaid's? I th so there was a lot that was different, but um, I think the thing that was most different about Shining Girls, but also incredibly challenging, was we shot so much out of order and shot so much at the same time. So all of the episodes, except for maybe the last couple of episodes were going the whole time. And that was obviously just for budget reasons and time reasons and being as economical as possible. So I was directing like two weeks into starting to shoot. And I was doing days with Michelle McLaren, who was doing the first two episodes where she would do a scene and I would do a scene and she would do a scene and I would do a scene. I've definitely never done that before. Sometimes you'll split something with a director, like a location, but going hand in hand like that with such such tight collaboration with something I, I have not experienced before. And I obviously, I, I really, really loved it. Oh, I love that. And you're so good at it. So congratulations. Thank you. And Jamie, nice to see you as always. And I would say Harper is a bit of a departure for you. I haven't seen you play someone so malevolent <laughs> before, um, which is fun. It's fun to see you stretch. What were your first impressions when you read the script? And what were you most nervous about in taking on this role outside of the sort of the story pieces that are kind of hard to follow and you really have to concentrate about where he is here and where he is there. What were your larger, I guess, concerns, but also what were you excited about? I mean, I was excited just, I mean, just off the bat, I was so excited about the creative team that you see before you today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I include Michelle and, and Dana, uh, our other director in that as well. Um, and Silver and, uh, and Evan Elizabeth and, every, and, and Bargain and everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So everyone essentially. Just, just, just off the bat, like someone has, someone is contributing something that is so um, substantial that you you start to feel like, oh, if I'm the imposter here, that this feels like this is something that I should want to do. And 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 immediately reading Silka's material and, and then getting into the novel. And then I think uh, Michelle and Silka wanted to share later episodes with me to get, just give me more of a background of the character and kind of give me some. Um, 
some clues as to who this guy really is, ground him in something or uh, find something that you could connect to and, and harness for those earlier episodes where he is much more of a mystery. Um, but, you know, a, a role like this, you know, actors, they always say, you know, what's my motivation or whatever. But like, <laughs> I think as, as, a, as a culture, we have this morbid fascination about genuinely what is the motivation of these men more often than not? What is the motivation of these men who do harmful things to people, mostly women? What is that motivation? What is it within them that uh, allows them or, or gives them, um, I don't know, some sense of... Uh, authority that they feel like they can do this to people. And, and that for me was like, I also have that morbid curiosity. I am also one of those people who do listen to the true crime podcasts and, and watch all those shows and stuff. So that is within me anyway. Um, so just having that opportunity to flex in that way and just kind of explore that question and, and Silka's material allowed me to explore that question and, and the direction from everyone uh, allowed me to go to those places, which was great. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the one the one kind of hesitation was of course like if if the show's successful, God, if I go and like buy some milk or I'll take my dog <laughs> to the park, everyone's gonna be like, oh, there's that serial killer from that show, <laughs> which isn't great. But um, but no, it's it's to lose yourself in something. That was the opportunity here, and and I'm very grateful that I was allowed that opportunity. I love that, and to be able to play this character who, in another version of a t this type of story, could be very filled with cliches and tropes, and like Lizzie said, like we don't find out until the end that it's him but we established that from the get-go. So then what is the psychology piece of it? And I imagine that was very exciting to mine as a performer. Yeah, I think it becomes more like a, a, an observational behavior, really. Like, you know, you, you, when you know uh, this is the bad guy, you kind of start going, like, okay, well, how does he lie to people? Mm -hmm. How does he gain trust of people? What is it? What, how does he present so that he doesn't appear a threat? He doesn't appear a monster. He appears kind of a unthreatening kind of sweet almost childlike kind of person so right. the, the behavior becomes the thing that i think people are kind of more clued into which is an actor all you want to do is exhibit behaviors i want to show this kind of behavior to reflect this right. um, person part of his personality whatever so um getting to do that in the background or stalking someone or whatever whatever it was i had to do um was really thrilling. And I think we, we kind of came to this natural place um, where we would discuss the scene and what the, what the idea of the scene was. I told Lizzie this before, so I'm going to bore these people as well. But um, which is, if I'm meant to be creeping somebody out, maybe the scene should be something different in his mind. Maybe in his mind, it is a meet cute. Maybe in his <laughs> mind, it is a fantasy. Maybe in his <laughs> mind, it's a dream or something that he's, he's living out. And I think that makes the other performer in the scene so much more unsettled that, um, you know, to play creepy and just... Play, play creepy is just one note and boring. So we kind of always try to find something different within the scenes. Right. To, to use Lizzie's word, have fun with the creepy, right? That's it. <laughs> there was a scene that Jamie and I did later that we were, I was acting in and directing and we found this wonderful thing where his character felt like it was romantic and it was a, it was a love scene. And there was something so fantastic about that idea, which came from you, Jamie. I mean, Jamie came in and we read together because it's weirdly the chemistry of these two characters was so important. Mm -hmm. And I remember he got off the zoom and it was me, Silka and Michelle in the cast and casting. And we all were like, Oh my God. Oh my God. That's Harper. That's Harper. Because he was somebody that Silka always described as you would sit down next to in a bar and have a conversation with. Hmm. And he had to be real and human and charming. And it would have been so easy to play this as a mustache twirling villain. And I feel like, Jamie, what you what you brought to it is this 
humanity and vulnerability and, and sensitivity that I think is just truly such an accomplishment in a, in a role that, you know, people have played, people have played serial killers, people have played villains, but he brought this delicacy to it that I think was just really beautiful. Thank you, Lizzie. I agree. True. Well done, absolutely. And Wagner, um, I have to say this character, Dan, reminds me so much of the people I would see sitting at the bar at this bar I used to go to after work in New York, near the New York Times. These guys who are just there for like six hours after work, they look horrible. They have their, you know, four whiskeys in, crunched over, but they're, they're just, they just care so much about their jobs that it takes so much out of them, that their work is a priority over their family, their health, and everything else in their lives. So I want to say you really captured this guy. <laughs> I've met these people and he feels very real to me. Right. What, what have you enjoyed about playing a journalist? Because I love journalist characters when they're done well. Often they are not. And I don't uh -huh. believe them most of the time. I believe this guy. But to play a journalist in pre-internet where he is just doing shoe leather reporting as we call it, right? That yeah. you know, beating the bushes, taking notes in his little pad. I just love it. It's like that post-Watergate, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, finding the truth. So tell me what you've enjoyed about that. Oh, everything about it. I was. I, I don't know if you know, but my background is journalist. I I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. I worked as a journal. I graduated as a journalist, and I worked as a journalist for. I, I was both working in a newspaper and on stage at night. At some point, in my life as an actor, you know, I realized that that's that was my thing, but uh, I have a, a lot of respect for good journalists, you know, especially nowadays. I, and I'm, I've been saying this and it's absolutely true because nowadays journalism is, is in such a weird uh, situation, you know, with, uh, uh, with when you have like <clears throat> people like Donald Trump and, and the president of my country, Bolsonaro, discrediting the work of journalists and, and putting their lives in danger, actually. And, and, uh, and people getting information in the internet and social medias and the spread of fake news, all that. So I think I was very, very excited about playing a journalist, a journalist back in the 90s, which is where I went to, to college to study journalism. Wow, so there's a reason you feel very real in this role. <laughs> <laughs> And, but I was I was calling my most of my friends back in Brazil are, are journalists uh, and uh, uh, many are actors and journalists. I have a lot of journalists uh, that are very close to me, and I was calling them to actually to talk about the differences between being a journalist nowadays mm. and back in the '90s. And so I'm glad that you that you mm. felt that. Uh, that that uh, connection with uh, what being a journalist in the 90s was because that was one of the greatest things for me was to play a journalist i love it and you had the hair and the, the blazer that probably has lots of holes right here <laughs> costume and everything was just fantastic so kudos to everyone and, yeah. and really incredible work Wagner. you really you really nailed it and philippa so nice to see you even in some of my favorite shows as of late so it's nice to see you virtually <laughs> you too. Your character, you know, we it's a lot is remained to be seen as to her relevance to the larger story, but I do love seeing a woman in this scientific space, which is still quite novel, these STEM roles we call them. And she has one of my favorite lines thus far in the show, and I'm just condensing it here. These stars survive their own deaths. They're still with us. And I really got chills listening to that because there's a great cut after that where that line just sort of resonates for a bit. And it made me think of the ghosts of the women who'd been killed 
or sort of hovering over the characters waiting to be sort of um, find closure, I guess. Tell me about how you feel this theme informs the larger story, of course, without spoiling, but also how it relates to your character insofar as we have seen in these first three episodes. Sure, well, that's a beautiful line that you pulled up, Silka. You're amazing. Um, And she didn't tell me to do it. I did that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that line speaks to me on a couple different levels. One is just on a very um, basic storytelling level. You know, we we talk about this is very genre bending and it's a bunch of different kinds of genres. There's a sci-fi element. There's this sort of magical realism element. And there's almost like a fantasy element Mm -hmm. as well in terms of this time travel and, and what what is possible in right. this realm of multiple realities, right? And so um, the fact that she is an astrophysicist, I think is really important because it makes you understand time and, and how we talk about time and what could actually be physically possible in this world. So hmm. for instance, like a star, a star dies out, but we don't know that until uh, it, until it's already happened. So when you look at a star, you're basically looking into the past. And so I think that gives us an idea of like, okay, so what we're seeing may not actually be um, written in the stars, so to speak, but maybe it's already happened or maybe it hasn't happened yet. So I think that's like a really important storytelling element just in terms of wrapping our minds around the reality of, of this, this world and and this um, the possibility of what these characters are going through. Mm -hmm. And then I just think on a very character driven level, you know, this is a very passionate person. And I think there's poetry in what she does. I think she she finds poetry in what she does. Hmm. Um, and, you know, my brother is a scientist and I talking to him, you know, it's always funny because I find when I do research for roles or for shows, I, I end up asking a lot of questions of people who might be able to help me in my research. And I always find it's more interesting to actually just hear the person and see why they're so passionate about what they're talking about mm-hmm. as opposed to the actual information that they're telling me. So yeah. I had a lot of conversations about string theory and <laughs> quantum physics and you know wormholes. And ultimately at the end of the day, I was just so struck by his um, uh, passion and, uh, and surety in what he was talking about and how it actually really grounded him and, and allowed me to see him in a different way and to hmm. see a part of his, his passion, a part of his heart. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it was really informative and, you know, that's such a beautiful line. And I think that scene was especially fun to play because there's so many different things happening on so many different levels. I love that. And I love that her job is so largely centered on education too, and making science accessible for the young people coming through and it's not, she's not stuck in a lab. Her mission is to make it part of any child's life, no matter who they are, which I think is really cool. Exactly, there's an, there's an outreach element there. Yeah, I like that. Well, I can't wait to see what happens next with her because I'm intrigued. <laughs> and Silk, I'd love to know, how has this project changed the way you see yourself as a storyteller? Because you have challenged yourself on so many levels and it seems like a lot of your work has been sort of sci-fi, fantastical, mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself that maybe has surprised you that you want to take with you moving forward? Well, this was my first time as showrunner. So yes, the lessons huge. I learned were <laughs> infinite. I mean, it would take hours to go through every single one. Um, but I think the most important thing is to have collaborators that support you and that see the same show. Mm. And, you know, everyone on here is very much that. And I got so lucky in the sense that everyone making the show 
really understood what the intention was, what the themes were. They were seeing the same sunset. And because of that, no matter how hard things got, we were all marching in the same direction. And you know, just in terms of picking the next project or thinking about what I want to do next, it's really about who I want to do it with. Hmm. Yes, I've heard stories to the contrary, and it's not fun when that's the case. <laughs> it's, it's such a long, you're really in the trenches with everyone. And, it, you know, I've been working on this for five years. So it's, it's wow. a huge chunk of your life. And the huge. experience itself really matters. I, absolutely. And for the actors, besides Lizzie, I would love for you to talk about Lizzie's directing, because this is her next great career that is taken full form. I would love for you to describe what she's like as a director and what did you learn from her and her unique approach to directing? So maybe Wagner, you can share your experience. Well, I, one of the greatest thing, things, honestly, for me in the show was the chance to work with Lizzie. <clears throat> I think Lizzie is amazing and I absolutely, I, I loved working with her and I adore her. And uh, uh, I think what I, look for, for me, the best directors are the directors that you don't feel judged. You feel that whatever you do, even if it's not quite right, <clears throat> it's gonna take you somewhere, you know? And that's, uh, and that's how Lizzie was. And, and I felt very um, free, which is all you wanna be as an actor. I felt very free to do, to explore the scene, to maybe go into a direction that I haven't thought <clears throat> before, or, or, you know, like that was a, a, and it was very, very nice to see her directing herself, which was, <laughs> which was amazing. You know? Which is she not was, easy. <laughs> was there with you in the scene as an actress, very present. <clears throat> But at the same time, you could see her mind going <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. And, I, and it was really sweet. That sometimes she did like very, very emotional scenes, very hard things to do. And then right after herself, she would say, cut with a very sweet voice. <laughs> like with her te tears in her eyes and cut. <laughs> I love I love working. I can totally picture this. It's very cute. <laughs> and, and Jamie and Philippa, sorry. I would love for you to describe your favorite parts of being directed by someone who's also an actor. I've heard stories about the kind of shorthand that exists between someone who's actually a performer who knows what you're going through. So Jamie, maybe tell me a little bit about the impact that you felt in this case working with Lizzie. I mean, I don't just, I just don't trust directors usually. <laughs> I, just don't, I just don't. I'm always like, there's, there's too many things to think about. There's too many questions that they're being asked. It's just impossible that they know that your character better than you do. You know, I, I think all, all, all the actors here are usually kind of like very homework driven. We like to show up, we like to be very prepared and like to be very... Um, very studied and, and, and go the extra mile for the character and, and for everything. So. Um, and you, sometimes it just isn't the case. Some filmmakers work in, in really different ways. So I, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I'm always very guarded with directors. I mean, on this, we have great directors as well. Michelle, great Michelle McLaren yeah. and, and Dana were just so much more than capable and so embedded in the material and, and genuinely also embedded in, in the characters and wanted to spend the time to talk about it. And, and we did. 
But still, there is there is a detachment, I think, from a performer mm -hmm. and then a filmmaker because I only care about the character. That's all I care about. And I just care about what the character's doing, why he's doing it, how I can express this more simply, how I can communicate um, uh, something clearly that feels singular so it can't be confused with anything else. And that's all I'm doing. And they're thinking about so many other things. So I, I feel very guarded with filmmakers a lot of the time. Very, uh, They might have notes and I'd be like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But just <laughs> trust all of the notes sometimes. I was like, uh-huh. So, um, uh, but with, with Lizzie, of course, it's so different because like I come at her as she's, she understands fully what I'm talking about. She totally understands because she's just done it. She just stepped right. off of doing that and now she's entering these shoes. So, so it's, it's, it's easy to say like, oh, you just trust them more. Just, oh, there's a shorthand between you. But also like my guard just really came down with Lizzie mm -hmm. in a way that it doesn't usually with, with directors at all. And, and, um, and 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 was was so willing to embarrass myself more with her and and and, and did and, and and also like I would do takes where it was like no that was completely ridiculous that was absurd but like she would go like she just she would just very gracefully kind of go like as a performer she understands are oh, you really you really went out on the ledge a little bit like I'm just gonna pull you back from that ledge a little bit and it was just didn't need to communicate that just to kind of look. And I don't really know how to explain that if you if you haven't like thrown mm -hmm. yourself out of a building before and fallen flat on your face, then you would understand. And for that, that just little shorthand of that acknowledgement of like, let's just tighten, let's just bring it back, let's just trust yourself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to really put it to someone who hasn't done it before, but it's just a look, and you get it. And uh, and I'm just so grateful to have had that experience with her. I love that, and and I think you're so right when you see someone herself being so vulnerable and maybe making mistakes as a performer right in front of you and then thinking, oh, maybe I'll mistakes. do no, that's oh, she doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> no, no, I do. Like, that's what's so annoying about it is that because I, I don't understand how she doesn't make mistakes, um, which is fucking annoying. To be fair. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah. I love that. And Philippa, does that resonate with you as well? Oh, totally. I mean, it goes without saying. Elizabeth Moss is one of the best collaborators, most talented people, actors, directors out there to work with. Just on, on a pure like craft. Best Zoom level. ever. <laughs> but I'll go, I'll go further than that, just to add, just to say there's a, um, I, I, think, I think Elizabeth Moss's superpower is her ability to be everywhere at once and also be only with you. Mm. That, that you had this beautiful skill on a set of being able to juggle all of these balls that were in the air for everyone else and for yourself and at the same time you know when it was time to receive direction or or to do a scene together I just really felt like we were just talking to each other and nothing else was happening mm. and I think it goes without saying as well like there's just this beautiful leadership that happens on a set um, under mm. your direction Lizzie where you know, everyone is game. Like everyone is ready and game and excited to be there. And I think that honestly starts from the top and starts from your leadership. And it was really awesome to be there and to witness it and to honestly have a great time being on set. We say fun. It was really fun. <laughs> I think that is like the days that Lizzie was directing, there is just a certain energy on set. Mm. Obviously there are parts of this material that are more challenging or darker or emotional, um, but her ability to sort of keep everybody in a 
positive, you know, willing to take risk place, there's just a top down, like you were saying, it just, it, it creates a different environment and it makes everyone do their best work. Um, just in terms of, you know, Lizzie directing my writing, what I really appreciated was that we spent so much time, just the two of us going over scenes before we were filming, where we would just talk about, you know, go line by line and really understand the intention, discuss each character's point of view. So by the time we, we did get to set, she knew everything and we felt like we were really on the same page. And I think that's, you know, that's probably why there was an effortlessness you know, to how, how she moves through the day as a director is because she's done so much prep work beforehand on thinking about character and story. Wow, seems like she has a promising <laughs> career ahead of her. Very safe bet. Very kind of all of you, thank you. I have to say, I think Stacey, you can hear in, in, in all of these guys and, and, and especially the, the actors, the, the, the passion that they have and the dedication. I mean, that's not always the case. It, it, it just isn't. We've all worked with actors or been on shows or been in films when you know that the person's coming in and they're doing their job and they're going home and they don't really maybe care as much. Every single one of these four people cares so, so much about not just doing the best job possible, but making it the best scene possible so that it can be the best episode possible so that it can be the best show possible. And that inspires you as a director so much. That makes you excited. Like Jamie, when you're talking about going out on the limb and jumping off the cliff, it's like, to me, even if you don't think that was the right choice and you want to do it again, I'm like, oh my God, yes, but that's what we're doing. That's what we live for. That's what's exciting. And this is now we're going to do it again. And it's going to be even better because now you know that that's the wall that you can hit and you're going to come back. And I mean, that's what I, I live for as an actor and director. But I was so, so lucky in the sense of getting this cast and, and so much of so many of the cast who aren't, who aren't here on the Zoom, who were so brilliant and so dedicated and passionate and cared so much. And no one cared more than Silka. <laughs> no one cared more than Silka about anything. And that kind of dedication and passion is just, is so inspiring. And it's why I think it's, it's why we all do it. Well, I love that. And, and I just want to congratulate each of you, not only on your work, but also making something during these difficult last few years, really just a miracle. So thank you for that. Soka, congratulations. Five years of hard work. It has paid off. I only know how, how hard it's been. So <laughs> congratulations to you and really, and hope, hope the fan reaction continues to be percolating and interesting because you never know what people are going to think, but who cares? You guys killed it. So <laughs> that's where we are, <laughs> but congratulations and uh, wish you the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.